Quia home of Canada's Queer Media. My name is Luke Smith. And I am Sebastian. Okay, all right. So this week we have uh, quite a few Canadian stories to catch up on. Okay. Uh, first of all, uh, let's. I want to start off with I asked my fiance uh, to marry me. Well, that's that's how we became fiancés. Yes. Now it turns out that this may have been an excellent decision uh-huh. for my health. Oh. Okay. Now, according to science, uh, yes, uh, yes, consistent monolith known as science that always agrees with itself. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's that. Yeah, exactly. According to science, uh huh. Same-sex married couples uh, have less stress, so we are just more chill. I do Mm -hmm. believe it may be related to the amount of cannabis used by the gay community. But that's aside. So <laughs> according no. to a recent study that came out in oh, the Journal of Social and Personal Relationships. Okay. And it talks about dyadic coping and marital quality in same-sex and different-sex relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, midlife same-sex and midlife different-sex couples. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were looking at various coping. Um, well, um, dyadic usually means over time. So like in one period relative to a previous period. But yeah, dyad as in like. A pair. So they surveyed about 418 couples. That's 838 for those not good with quick math. Yes. And uh, essentially what they found was that uh, women married to women are more likely to receive positive support and less likely to receive negative support compared to women that are married to men. So this is shocking news here from the academic journal. Okay. Uh, that women get more support from women they're married to than women necessarily married to men they're married to, out of this okay. sample of about 400 couples. Both men and women in same-sex marriages are more likely to cope with stress collaboratively yep. than their counterparts in different sex marriages. And all forms of dyadic coping are equally important for the marriage quality of men and women in both of those types of uh, relationship. Yep. Yep. That that makes sense to me, actually. Um, On average, this is on average, I'm not falling back on gender stereotypes or absolutes or any kind of naturalistic fallacies or anything, but on average, men and women tend to have different communication strategies from another one another. Men tend to, well, I mean, I I don't really want to get into what the actual differences are because that that could take an entire episode but really it's just a matter of like when you get a same-sex male couple they're more likely to communicate their emotions to each other in a way that they can both express and understand clearly with a little bit less what is that supposed to mean so yeah that makes sense to me in general like they've known in the literature since like the 60s or 70s or possibly even further back, that people who are married live longer and have fewer health problems later in life. This has been known for a while. So the fact that they've just confirmed this with same-sex couples and they find that their communication is a little bit better surprised me either. This is a good study. I'm into this. Yeah. It was really interesting when you get down into the nitty-gritty of this uh, this study. And it was uh, by, oh, where is she? She is from the somewhere. So it's Yuen Wang, the, uh, who's a professor at the Department of Sociology and Population Research Center at the University of Texas in Austin, Texas. So that's who was the lead author behind this 
study. What they think is behind the women and women have the less stress is first and foremost that gender and how folks are raised to deal with stress. Uh, there is a difference between how women and girls are raised to deal with stressful situations and how uh, men and boys are raised to deal with st- stressful situations. Now, okay. individually, you may have a very different approach, oh, but that's on, yeah. on mass, yeah. <laughs> across the, you know, this is an American study across the United States, then it is uh, typically men and boys are taught less effectively how to manage and deal with stressful situations. What's really interesting then is that when you get both women, they're both slightly more likely to have coping mechanisms. Uh, And between the two of them, it just uh, mellows it out. But what's interesting then is when they look at male same-sex relationships and how those also seem to be more chill than Mm -hmm. uh, opposite-sex relationships. And the thinking behind that one is the lack of familial and institutional support. So good old homophobia has made uh, gay men in particular have to solve their own problems over many, many years. Mm -hmm. And as a result, they become interdependent. Yeah, maybe they understand the ways that gender dynamics work and they understand the, the commitments into a marriage. I find that queer couples don't usually enter into things quite as quickly. So, for example, it is very difficult to have a child as a gay couple. I mean, logistically, mm. that's a lot of... It's it's not uh, intuitive, let's just yeah. say that one. <laughs> you, have, you have to use alternative methods, yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah. You have to think outside of the box, as it were. And then the other situation that occurs is obviously marriage. It, uh, you know, it took so long to fight for access to marriage. Mm-hmm. That it's taken somewhat uh, seriously as an institution by the by queer folks. Yeah, I don't know. I just thought that was really interesting that uh, when compared to the straight population, uh, according to this one study one from study. the University of Texas, uh, maybe same-sex relationships are just a little bit more chill than not. I'd like to see it replicated in non-English speaking cultures, like to see if uh, if they can get that to work, get similar results in like, I don't know, India, just because if you start looking at different cultures across different time with different values, then you can weed out whether or not it is nurture, like, is it to do with how they're raised or is it nature? Does it have to do with like the nature of men and women? And it's it's almost definitely going to be a bit of each because that's how most things are. Whenever you're looking at anything gender dynamics, it's going to be a little bit, this is how the brain works and a little bit, this is how society tells you to function. But it'd be interesting to see how much of it is what just by looking at other cultures, which is what we should do more often with more of these studies. But that's a different, that's a different argument. Well, I just wanted to share, I think it was Halifax Pride that we were talking about before that had a bit of a meltdown, if you recall that. This is going to make me sound horrible, but I've lost track of... Of which Pride had a meltdown, yeah. Canadian Pride meltdowns, yeah. Well, anyway, there is a special meeting geared up for later in November. Actually, I believe it is day of recording (laughs) that there is a special meeting later today. Uh, We obviously don't know what's going to happen because we are... Uh, it we're not the right day for it. So we'll uh, we'll have to report back next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my understanding, uh, for those who recall, that it was just a 
bit of a an absolute mess mm-hmm. um and uh, a lot of folks the senior staff all left all at the same time all but four of the board members resigned on uh, okay. mass um and i believe that their executive director uh, left their communications manager left halifax pride announced on its website uh, and i quote here it is both with both sadness and appreciation that Halifax Pride Society announces the imminent departure of our two dedicated full-time staffers, Adam Reed, the executive director, and Fiona Kerr, operations communications manager. Um, they've been there since 2017. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, it was it was they were considering almost shutting shop. Like it was a whole. Mm, um, yeah, I remember that, but yeah. So yeah, we'll keep an eye out and see how how that unfolds because obviously we want to make sure that. You know, these are pretty big. It's a pretty big deal here to have a, a pride committee go belly up uh, in Canada. So we obviously want to make sure that we're keeping an eye on it. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like it's uh, participating in a pride committee is like jury service. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because like any, I've done my duty. Person has any gay person who is like civically minded. Yeah. Has at some point served on a pride committee somewhere yeah especially if you're outside of vancouver or toronto because those pride committees are massive they're huge not the best run, but yeah. they're definitely massive yeah and, and it sometimes it's hard to get on them uh for various reasons they uh some of its cronyism uh we've seen that happen as well where where uh, a pride committee just gets so in bed with itself and you know, they say they're looking for new members, put your name in the hat, and then you realize it's kind of like that that stereotype of the uh, open call for a new government job, like some civil servant job, where you read the description, it's weirdly specific, and it's because, you know, whoever's the head of the department just wants their nephew in, so they just tailored it to them. Like, there are times where you're you're trying to get into pride and you realize, nope, they have that lady right there in mind this whole time. They were only asking so that they don't get sued. It can get like that. Small town prides, though, are very easy to get involved with. Quite often, you just volunteer for a year. They get to know your name. And then you say, can I sit on the committee? And half the time, they're like, yeah, there's a spot open. You seem all right. And half the time, they're like, well, you know, we're all full up. Try again next year. It doesn't take long, usually. Like, if it takes longer than five years, then... All right, well, let's uh, jump to our first track. This is... Oh, uh, it is a track by Jackie Shane. It's a track by Jackie Shane. This is going to be any other way. The reason why I chose Jackie Shane this time is because uh, Jackie Shane, who is an iconic trans pioneer out of Toronto, um, I believe born in Nashville, Tennessee, Mm -hmm. but really lived and uh, held for a long time a career in Toronto. Focus on the Toronto Sapphire Tavern for those Mm -hmm. who may be of a, a certain age in the 60s through to the very early 70s having uh, quit music in 1971 but yeah she passed away a couple of years ago at the age of 78 and she is now the subject of a heritage minute mm-hmm. it's up so, there with the log drivers waltz absolutely and we've talked extensively about the log drivers waltz. <laughs> we're not going to do so again this time but anyway this is uh any other way but jack shane And you say that you're my friend But I don't know why you're here 
Queer home of Canada's queer medium. My name is Luke Smith. And my name is Sebastian. Now, one of my favorite drag queens of, of uh, probably all time is Rita Baga. Oh, yes. Rita Baga is great. Yes. Uh, the, the name Swede was taken, so she had to go with the American phenomenon. <laughs> uh, I, I doubt that was the actual reason, but yes. It's a good name. Even I, who is a, uh, I, I'm tepid on drag queens. I neither love them nor hate them. I just usually would rather spend my time doing other stuff. I this love Rita true. Vega. I love yes. Rita Vega. And, and I'm like, you know, take me to a, to a drag show or take me to an old Kung Fu movie. I'd probably choose the Kung Fu movie unless you said Rita Vega is going to be there. But anyway, I'm not going to go on. Do go on about Rita Vega. I will go on about Rita Vega. <laughs> so Rita Vega, who is a incredibly talented and acclaimed drag queen out of Montreal, Quebec, mm-hmm. um, has uh, officially apologized again. Okay. And uh, I'll read her. I'll read her apology here, which was posted on the sixth to uh, Twitter. Okay. Uh, bonjour. I saw a lot of things online recently about me and problematic things I've done in the past. I have made stupid and hurtful mistakes a long time ago that I still regret. Mm-hmm. For those of you who did not know this before, I apologize again. I can't undo what I've done as a young, privileged, and unaware white queen. In 2020, I have exposed myself, as you can see below, I still own and mean what I wrote back then, and I am still ashamed. 
I don't know if writing this post is the right thing to do, but I want to be transparent and honest. I've been vocal about this numerous times and informed people about it too. Seeing that people who called out these big mistakes have been criticized and bullied makes absolutely no sense to me. I respect my sisters and I will never endorse online bullying. I always try to be uplifting for my community, caring, loving, supportive, discuss important topics for our community on mainstream platforms, use my privilege to open doors. The bad actions I've done and regret were a long time ago and I will never repeat them, never. Uh-huh. I am full of love. I don't like drama at all. You may remember it from my season and avoid confrontation in general. To be transparent, my anxiety level is currently at its highest. Again, I don't know if writing this is what I should do, but if I apologize again from the bottom of my heart for the harm caused, uh, love Rita. Aww. I believe. Now, to bear in mind, this is something that a lot of drag queens run into that the. the so- Drag is not just a way of dressing up and it's not just a way of lip syncing and it's not just a way of dancing in a very specific way to music. It is also a type of comedy. There's sort of like, like, you know, you've got like insult comics and observational comics, like drag comedy tends to run in a certain way and it really tends to run the line of what's taboo. And there, I mean, they used to say in drag shows, if we haven't offended you, come back next week and we'll try again. It was a common line. I saw it in Toronto. I saw it when I was in Sarnia. I saw it, drag queen saying in Hamilton. It used to be the general attitude. And even to this day, there are a lot of drag queens that, that go in that direction. The problem is that when you get as close to the line as you can while still staying funny, occasionally you step over that line. And... A lot of drag queens, and and I see Rita Vega pointed out white privilege, and that that is definitely a factor. But I've I've seen other drag queens, I've seen Black and Asian drag queens also say they've gotten too close to the line and stepped over it before. But that's unfortunately that's one of the risks you take when you do comedy of this style. And the best you can do is try to not cross that line. Uh, be accountable to yourself and to your community when you do well, cross that line. It's that accountability that Rita Berger is referring to. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'll read. I'll read the last part here, which is actually what she had posted in 2020, about two years ago. Okay. And I quote here: "The Montreal drag community is a bit of an open letter to the Montreal drag community." And mm-hmm. I'll continue. We have to do better. There is only a few cutie BIPOC, so queer trans BIPOC mm. drag queens in Montreal. And it's not their job to educate and teach us how to dismantle this systemic racism. It's time to unlearn, learn again, and change. It's our responsibility. I hear terrible stories about things that have happened in the dressing room where I work the most. I read hateful comments from white co-workers against the queer trans BIPOC communities. I will be more vocal now. We all make stupid things that we are not proud of. When I started to do drag, I used a darker foundation in a show so I could portray a black character. Another time I wore a blonde braided wig thinking it wasn't problematic as it was blonde. Another time I took pictures with cops faking an arrest as I thought that it would make a cute photo series. I've been called out for that. I was ashamed. I never want to hurt people. Never. But I did. I spent three weeks reading about colonialism, white supremacy, marginalized community. It's time to have 
these uncomfortable situations to be vocal, to be there for our sisters and to make sure that they feel safe and respected. Black people are dying. Queer, trans, bi people of color communities are suffering. It's time to unlearn, learn and be the change. Uh, and then uh, I believe Rita then starts to speak to a specific drag queen that I'm not familiar with. Okay. But essentially in 2020, Rita Berger uh, acknowledged several incidents where uh, poor decision-making, mm-hmm. very, very poor decision-making, shameful decision-making and called it out and recognized it. Mm-hmm. Wearing a dark foundation, essentially wearing blackface, uh, is absolutely unacceptable and even was, you know, mm-hmm. early in early in Rita Baker's career. But what's really interesting here is this seems to have reappeared in light. Okay. As a Rita Baker is competing on Canada's drag race versus the world. Okay. So very much, uh, I think that starts at some point this week, mm-hmm. uh, but it seems like they, they, they see this, this dirt is just being dug up every couple of years, mm-hmm. um, you know, thrown around a little bit to, 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 to aerate it, I suppose, and then, you know, see where it lands. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the actions that Rita Baker took, wearing essentially blackface with a, a darker foundation, um, and some like, the know. thing is that that that's that that feels like plausible deniability blackface, which it doesn't make it better. It just makes it I don't know the the fact that it's kind of uh... you know I'm going to disagree with you, Sebastian, because Rita Baker herself said that was shameful, unacceptable, and greatly regrets that decision. You know, I I suspect that this is something that Rita did when she was younger, mm-hmm. earlier in her career. Um, and you know the 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 history of of um, I'm not saying that Montreal. plausible deniability makes it okay. I, I I'm saying that it makes it cowardly. You know the fact that she didn't go full blackface, she went like pseudo blackface, and therefore that's okay. Well, apparently not. Yeah, but I think I think that's definitely um, like cowardly is definitely a thing because I, oh this is gonna make me think of a Christian thing, and I'm sorry, but it's the story of the prodigal son. Like, do you who do you trust more, somebody? who never makes a mistake because they're too cowardly to even try or somebody who made mistakes, learned for it, came back a better person and helped other people. Like, I think Mm. if Rita Vega made mistakes, owns up to them and promises to do better and help other people do better. I have way more faith in someone like that than someone who never made a mistake because they're too cowardly to try anything. And, you know, sticking with the Christian metaphor here, I think that her mistakes are very much her crucible to bear at this point. Her crucible? You know, isn't it the, the thing that you bear? I'm pretty sure the, the metaphor the thing is crucifix. Crucible, crucible is a little thing that you melt metal in. Oh, well, I mean, she could be bearing it. <laughs> she's a very innovative drag queen. I don't know what she's um, You know, but uh, I think it's interesting. You know, there have been... Let's first and foremost, before RuPaul's Drag Race, really, frankly, let's be honest, mainstreamed and commercialized drag. Yeah. Drag was usually drunk. Racy. Racy. Yeah. uh, Very risque, very Mm -hmm. in uh, sort of seedy, badly lit bars, possibly in the basement somewhere. And that's how we loved them. 
yeah, yeah, it had that 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 slightly grunge, that slightly uh, you know, it, it has that edge to it. Mm-hmm. So that's what a lot of drag is, and uh, to bring it out into the limelight mm-hmm. with uh, with a nice pink Instagram filter on it. You know, there's certain things about uh, drag's history that just are not going to be, mm-hmm. uh, you know, TV friendly. Or, you Absolutely. Know. Well, I mean, there, there's several reasons why Chris Edwards, who's one of the most popular and, and historically famous drag queens in Toronto, is probably never, ever, ever going to get on any of the drag race shows. Um, uh, Chris Edwards also regularly went right up to that line and just took a step over it and said, what are you going to do about that? Um, and she was incredibly, incredibly racy, incredibly racy. And there, there's no way that she would survive a social media examination on the, the, the history of her show. Um, and Chris Edwards is uh, a, a black trans woman and integrated that into her act in a way that some people might find funny, some people might find empowering, and some people might find offensive, but that was the point. But uh, just talking about bringing things into the light, um, I don't know, some some queens are not meant for TV. It's not in their act, it's not in their personality, that's fine. I think Rita Vega could do it. And I, I think like talking about bringing people out, out into the light is definitely a thing because Drag was a thing that was done in CD bars. And if if you weren't racy, then you wouldn't do more than one act because nobody would want you back. It was the nature of the venue. It was kind of like a speakeasy kind of, you know, why would you get a singer in a speakeasy if she never once sang a sexy song like Jessica Rabbit? Um, now there's sort of an explosion in varieties of drag. And the more family-friendly version, or even maybe not family-friendly, but TV-friendly version uh, is kind of exploding. And that was never really a thing. I think the B-Girls, if you remember them from like, bloody 20 years ago now? Yeah. They're one of the first TV-friendly drag queens in Canada. And um, they really stood out for being TV-friendly, but not necessarily kid-friendly. They're right down the middle. That was something your grandmother would go, ho, ho, that was racy. And then, but, but not complain to the CRTC. Like that that specific level of taboo and raciness that's that's what you want on tv and not a lot of drag queens really specialize that in in that until the the past few years so you're gonna find a few people with a a history some of it has to do with the venue some of it has to do with society moving on from former things that used to be acceptable that aren't acceptable anymore some of it was stuff that was never acceptable some of it was stuff that was never acceptable and that was the point because it was a it was a taboo form of comedy I don't know. It, it's all over the place, but I do like the fact that there is an accountability and responsibility that Rita Vega is taking on saying like, you know, you could say it was the time you could say it was my own misunderstanding. That doesn't make it okay. That makes it contextualized, but that doesn't make it okay. And I, I like the fact that Rita Vega is standing up and saying like, this is what I did. I also think it's cute that you're reading Rita Vega's words and as you were reading them, I could hear in my mind the French accent, not knowing uh, uh, some minor grammatical imperfections in English. I was like, yeah, no, this is a Montrealer. But yeah, yeah. uh, Yeah. there's definitely phrases. And I was like, (laughs) yeah, that's a, that's a, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so folks who are interested can check out the Chop Block, uh, which is a, pop, a podcast where Rita Bigger had done, I believe, an initial interview mm-hmm. sparking this controversy. 
Uh, but people's response and outrage uh, is is quite notable. Um, I think one of the drag queens that Rita Bigger was uh, particularly responding to, Kimora Amore, mm-hmm. uh, in particular, uh, apologized to them, you know, in 2020. And Kimora Amore has now come out <laughs> defending Rita Bigger, being like, we've had a conversation. We've had, you know, we, we've... Mm-hmm. she's already apologized i've already forgiven her i've moved on she's moved on you know everyone else here has moved on yeah um, except for the internet backlash who um has discovered this recent outrage and uh, responding accordingly yeah um i don't know i just i just wonder if you know rita vega is going to be spending the rest of her career apologizing for the same things over and over again um and will those apologies carry the same weight when it is repetitive you know i think that'll be that'll be you know at, at what point can you can you move on from something like yeah that? At what point do you say you know what i've apologized accept it or don't i don't know that that's a different conversation it's a big conversation i yeah. think it's time for a song though uh nearly i just wanted to leave off with one last canadian story before we jump to our next track and that is related to the string of murders um, in Toronto that we were talking about before the serial killer for whom's name I will not, uh, well, I try not to say on air. I don't always remember to not say mm-hmm. uh, his name on air. Um, but uh, yeah, we got, you know, the murders of Salim Hassan, Mashid Kayan, Dean Lysarik, Sarush Mahmoudi, uh, Skandaraj Navaratnam, uh, Abdul Basir Faisi and Karishna Kanagaratnam. Um, as well as uh, kinsmen uh, who were all killed in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Now, the BBC have made a docu-series called Santa Claus, the Serial Killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how I feel about that. I feel like this is, you know, to say too soon is maybe, mm. you know, the, the, there was a lot of backlash to the Jeffrey Dahmer series um, and that was in the 70s, you know. Yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. You know, this this string of murders was quite recent, 2017, I believe, when he was caught. The first Jeffrey Dahmer biopic, docudrama, whatever you want to call it, came out about a year and a half after he was caught. And uh, it was kind of crass and tasteless, but the crew who made that defended themselves saying uh, they wanted to capture the voices of the original people involved uh, as soon as possible while it was still fresh, uh, as crass as that is, but they wanted to get the most real and honest and unfiltered through time message that they could get. And uh, I think it, it's one of those things where like 50 years later, somebody can make a much classier version of it using the footage from the less classy, more fresh version, uh, which actually apparently the the Netflix bomber did use some of those original the, the footage from some of the original stuff where they're interviewing people to try to get um, more real uh, interpretations of what probably happened. Uh, so it's I don't know they're, they're talking about uh, serial killers, even talking about ones from like a hundred years ago. Like people talk about Lizzie Borden in ways that are kind of tasteless sometimes so i don't know there, there's a there's a right way and a wrong way to do this and i think generally speaking people default to the wrongest way because that's what attracts views and often if you're making something like this you're in the business of making business so hate watching still drives advertising dollars yeah 
So, I mean, it's... Well, I mean, the BBC doesn't get many ad dollars, but, you know, that's that's fine. Yeah. But, yeah, it's interesting. It, the, the, exact, the, the director behind it says that uh, he essentially wanted to make something that can help people to move on um, and have these difficult conversations. Uh, mm-hmm. They seem to focus a lot of interviews on the uh, woman who had contracted the serial killer uh, where he then dumped a bunch of the bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, I'm not really sure what kind of pivotal role the owner of the house where the bodies were dumped uh, was playing. Um, but the sense I've got from early reporting, I don't think it's out yet, but the sense I got from early reporting is that uh, they seem to be taking uh, quite significant uh, uh, steps to differentiate this case from the Stephen Porter case, mm. uh, which was another serial killer in the UK who killed a lot of people. Um, and in the UK, there was significant police neglect, which led to Stephen Port not being mm-hmm. caught for quite a while. And they seem to be at pains here to say, oh, no, that's not the case here. The case here was that the community was disassociated from police. There was not enough communication. Uh, and frankly, you and I both know that's absolutely not true. The Toronto police willfully neglected basic things like signing up for the National Missing Persons yeah. Registry. Like the Toronto police are, you know, amongst the villains in this story for sure. Well, it, not only that, but every report that came out said that like when the police did something right, it's because one detective or inspector, depending on what period you're looking at, basically ignored direct commands and did the right thing despite what they were told. That it was like one person was assigned to the case for like three months and then they did the right thing and then they got assigned off of it. Here's what I think. I think there is a way to make a dignified Bruce MacArthur, uh, Juice McDonald's movie. (laughs) Um, And that is to make it about bumbling police. Like, because there are a lot of bumbling police movies from the 90s and 2000s where the crime portion of the movie is taken seriously. They, they take the murder seriously. They take the kidnapping seriously. They take the drug cartel seriously, whatever. But then you have Leslie Nielsen as the, the bumbling detective who's trying to solve it. If they did that, if they took the murder seriously, but made the movie about the bumbling detective mm-hmm. or bumbling detective police force and made it into sort of a, a dramedy, I think they probably could get away with a lot more dignity because it, it, laughing at the incompetence of the police or that one officer in the room, because there are reports of like two or three officers standing in the room, basically going, what are you guys doing? Am I the, am I taking crazy pills? Am I the only sane yeah. person in the room? Like if you make the movie about that one cop, who's like, did you call someone like make them make a movie about that person? And I think you could probably make it less horrible because then it's not really about the serial killer. It's about the police. And you can get away with a lot more just making fun well, of cops. The, the director of this docuseries uh, claims that, of course, there are areas where the police could have done better. Oh. Um, <laughs> like not letting him go the first time you catch him. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. However, they wanted to talk about the, you know, Canadian immigration law and, and how uh, BIPOC folks are treated in the city of Toronto and... And I'm like, yeah, I mean, all of these things are great, but there was fundamentally policing errors that are <coughs> unacceptable. So we'll, oh, yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm going to tune into the BBC for that one. It'll it'll probably make its way back to Canada on uh, one of the various channels, mm. uh, but we'll see. Anyway, this is Sometimes I See Stars uh, by Tegan Acera from the brand new track, uh, sorry, the brand new record mm-hmm. by Baby. This is Sometimes I See Stars, Tegan and Sarah. 
like a horse I'm shaking free from the source I gallop and go Feel the muscle and bone Sometimes I see stars Do you think I'll get over it? Sometimes I see stars Do you think I'll get over it? Welcome back to Can Queer Home of Canada's Queer Media. My name is Luke Smith. And I am Sebastian. Now, I read the Heartstopper books and, oh, they were just heartwarming and pleasant. And I, I don't know if, if I told you about this. I think I've talked about it a couple of times. I recently, for my... my uh, I'm reading a lot of quite not sort of somber books, you know, okay. uh, stamped on from the beginning, the history of, uh, you know, anti-black racism and uh, just, you know, various books on terrible history. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes it's nice as a bit of a palate cleanser mm-hmm. to just read a pleasant thing. Okay. Um, so that's where I started to watch. Um, I think it was Jay's Gay Agenda. Okay, uh, was the first one I read, and it was just a pleasant 
like gay teen romance book um, mm-hmm. where nobody died, no one got AIDS, and uh, it was just a pleasant story at the end of it. Um, and then I moved on to what to read uh, Heartstopper, which I believe is a graphic novel series. Um, I say read. I mean, you can get through a book in about, you know, one or two sittings. Like it was, uh, yeah. you know, it's more of an aperitif than it is a meal in terms of, uh, in terms of reading. And of course it then became a Netflix series that, um, you know, came out after that. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to talk about uh, a tweet that Kit Connor uh, put out. Now Kit played... Um, oh, I can't remember the name of the character that Kit played. Ah, it's going to bug me, but it'll it'll come out. Anyway, so Kit Connor played one of the characters in the Heartstopper series on uh, Netflix, and it became an absolute runaway success. And uh, w- there's been a lot of discussion. So I believe what the other character, Joel, uh, the other actor, Joel, um, has already, I believe, come out. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's been a lot of debate about Kit Connor, whether or not uh, he is gay, whether or not he is straight. Uh, is he a straight man in a, in a gay, in a bi role or a gay role? Um, the characters bi on TV. Mm-hmm. And then there's, you know, openly trans characters and, and so on and so forth. So, I don't know, there's always been a bit of discussion about, you know, queer people playing queer roles and straight people playing queer roles. Mm-hmm. And there's been immense pressure on, on Kit to identify their own sexuality. Mm-hmm. Which would normally be crass if we were forcing gay people to do that. Like, if, if, uh, if somebody came out as gay or bi or trans and they they said that they felt that they were forced people would usually be furious about it um it, it is a weird little hypocrisy that the community definitely suffers from where actors were like you must tell us right now but then everyone else it's like that's your business and you don't have to come out if you don't want to uh i don't know i feel i don't i don't feel like that's fair on anyone but uh yeah that's definitely an issue that comes mm-hmm. up sometimes so the writer Alice Osman, uh, who created the series, uh, tweeted. Let me let me just back up a second here. The reason why this has caused quite the quite the stir is uh, a tweet from Kit Connor, um, who disappeared off of Twitter, then reappeared to post this message. Mm-hmm. Back for a minute, I'm by. Congrats for forcing an 18 year old to out himself. I think some of you missed the point of the show. Bye. Uh-huh. And I get it. I yeah. get it. You know, we as our own show, Can Queer, this show has had discussions about uh, the the space and the opportunity taken by straight actors playing gay roles. Mm-hmm. And we always try our best to celebrate when there are queer roles played by queer actors. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we've ever you know, um, denied, you know, is he, isn't he? And, and forced someone to, to out themselves, at least mm-hmm. not as far as I can recall uh, in the history of our show. And um, that's not really our, our flavor of tea. We're a little bit more nuanced as well. Like we acknowledge, ideally you would have LGBT roles played by LGBT people, but sometimes you don't like, here's the thing. If we saw a movie, if I saw a movie, I don't know how you would feel about this. <coughs> 
But if there were a movie in which Vin Diesel played a flamboyant gay man, I would watch the hell out of that mm-hmm. because it's Vin Diesel and it would make me laugh. And some people would say that is a role that could be taken up by a straight man. I mean, sorry, by, by a gay man or a bisexual man, but then it wouldn't be Vin Diesel and it wouldn't be, it wouldn't have the hilarity or the rock. Like imagine the rock playing a drag queen. Um, actually, we did get that movie. What am I talking about? Tu Wong Fu had Wesley Snipes playing a drag queen. That was fantastic. Yeah. And it was, yes, they probably could have gotten a gay man to play that role. But the fact that it was Wesley Snipes is part of what made the role because you're like, I saw that dude kill the hell out of a movie a guy in another movie and it was just mm-hmm. something kind of fun about seeing wesley snipes as a drag queen so i mean there is a time and a place for that i think by and large lgbt roles should go to lgbt actors sometimes not because sometimes it makes sense Let, let's be honest more people watched brokeback mountain because it was Heath, it was heath ledger and because more people watched that movie more people ended up caring about queer rights than they did if they hadn't seen that movie so there was actually sort of a service done to the community through that movie but that was one movie in 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 the pool there's hundreds of other movies and again i I do feel by and large lgbt roles should go to lgbt actors but there's a case to be made for exceptions well the argument here is there was accusations that uh that kit was queer baiting now just for our audience sake queer baiting is uh my first of all, my Netflix uh, image carousel is notorious for this. Oh God, it's yeah. Like, oh, this has you know gay subplot. You should watch this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or uh, you know, will they? Won't they? Will they? Won't they? They never do. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Really disappointing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's just about trying to tease out the potential of you know a, a rewarding a viewing opportunity, only to be disappointed by. Um, you know, what happens next. It's just one mm. of those tropes that happens again and again, and, and it's frankly exhausting. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a difference between that and accusing an 18-year-old um, of, of doing this by taking a TV role on Netflix. Yeah. First of all, who at 18 would say no to a Netflix deal? I mean, come on now, if you're an actor, who says no to that? Um, oh, so, what's her name? Uh, the the girl who played Wednesday Adams, Christina oh, yes. Ricci. Christina Ricci would have when she was eighteen, but she's a she's a special egg. But anyway, sorry, go on. So Kit Connor, speaking to the Rain with John Smith podcast, uh, said, you know, went into a bit more bit more detail, and I'll quote here. I mean, for me, I just feel like I'm perfectly conf- uh, confident and comfortable in my sexuality, but I'm not too big on labels and things like that. I'm not mm-hmm. massive about that. And I don't feel like I need to label myself, especially not publicly. That tweet was slightly calling them out, but also find it funny. Uh, It's 2022. It feels a bit strange to make assumptions about a person's sexuality just based on hearing their voice or seeing their appearance. I feel like that's a very interesting, slightly problematic sort of assumption to make. Mm. I think that's echoed by the creator of the uh, Heartstopper series, um, where she says, I truly don't understand how people can watch Heartstopper and then gleefully spend their time speculating about sexualities and judging based on stereotypes. Mm-hmm. I hope all of these people are embarrassed uh, and then says, Kit, you're amazing. I don't know. I think it missed the point. Like the whole series is about finding your sexuality, understanding yourself, 
um, and having that space to explore and come to terms with who you are on your own schedule. A lot mm-hmm. of folks have essentially said that pressuring somebody to come out is outing. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, and yeah, outing yeah. someone is completely unacceptable. I think if yeah, someone yeah. does not want to disclose the sexuality, there is a space for a conversation about queer baiting and a space for a conversation about uh, queer roles going to queer actors. But I mm-hmm. think that conversation should never come at the cost of outing somebody or forcing someone to reveal or someone's privacy. Absolutely. It's just crass. It's just crass. I'm not into it. Yeah. Agreed. Now, are you aware of, uh, let me, let me get the name of this moto. 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 Uh, Phone company. I was thinking the same thing, isn't it? Like a jingle, like hello moto, and then it's like that there's a yeah, whole jingle. It's no, Motorola, moto, yeah. Yeah, Motorola. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it turns out I'm not referring to a jingle from the Motorola phone company, but oh, rather, Moto is also a suffix in Japanese that means and also me. And also me. Oh, yeah. I wonder if that's where it came from. <laughs> so Joel Simkai, uh, who was the founder of Grinder. Okay has now launched a new gay and queer matchmaking app called okay. Moto. Now, right now, it's only available in, I believe, New York and Miami. Um, but uh, they're, they're... Not LA. That's not interesting. What, well, I mean, that's that's where it is. Um, yeah, so they're, they're designing it very differently. Uh, it's not based on the volume of interactions, but the, the quality of the interactions apparently it's membership based it's free you must have three pictures and each one is verified um i don't know we'll have to see what it's like um they send you five to ten verified profiles um i believe each day based on their algorithm for what you think might might like but Mm -hmm. the idea is that they don't want you to be spending hours and hours in like a death scroll yep. looking through all of the headless torsos um, until you find one that tickles your fancy, but rather they'll send you mm-hmm. uh, five to 10. And then if you don't uh, interact or engage with them, then they'll, they'll, you know, take it away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's yeah. Pass on. Yeah. I don't know. It's just seems they want it to be, you're spending a couple of minutes on this app. Like this well, app is just, it's like a telephone directory. Yeah. Going a, there with a purpose. You're not scrolling the telephone directory. You know, you're just, you're going there. You need to find the thing. You found the thing. You're moving on. Yeah. You're going to meet for coffee. I don't know. This is a very, because we, we tore Grinder to shreds for their terrible uh, disposable people sort of design. Yeah. Um, but this seems to be a new approach. Yes. Uh, I mean, a, a good, dating app wants you to get off the app and never come back again. A good hookup app wants you to get on the app, find someone and leave the app in under five minutes. The current design for most, they're calling them social interaction apps because they're unwilling to commit as to whether or not they're a dating app or a hookup app is to get you on there watching for as long as possible interacting with ads and occasionally interacting with bots who are just trying to sell you something or scam you. It's a, it's a real issue. So, I mean, 
if they're designing an app whose primary function is to get you to stop using itself, then that, that means they're taking it seriously. Absolutely. Well, um, right now it's only available in Miami and New York, and uh, most of our listeners are in neither of those locations. Right. Uh, but if you are in Miami and New York and a listener of the show, let us know what you think of the Moto app, uh, the new app released by uh, the founder of Grinder. Uh, just a little bit of quick good news. Tokyo has started to issue same-sex certificates. And I believe Poland, uh, their courts recently just recognized. I had to uh, look it up. Foreign... Because Canada does this all the time. When, when you read an article that says Ottawa, half the time it's municipality and half the time they're just talking about the federal government. And you have to read the article. It's not clear until the fourth paragraph. So when, when we say Tokyo, it's the municipality of Tokyo. Yeah. Yeah. Not Tokyo as in all of Japan, because all of Japan has not legalized it yet. It's just municipality of Tokyo, which Tokyo being what it is, Tokyo does the thing that most countries except for Canada do, where the capital is not part of a province. It's its own sort of the, the, the mayor sits on the provincial council because it's kind of not really a city. It's not really a province. It's kind of this weird middle thing, but that's why they have the ability to do that as a municipality. But yeah, no, it's it's not all of Japan. It's just Tokyo. Just being a nerd. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> all right. And then finally, all but nine of the UK's medical schools. So there are 44 medical schools, and I believe 35 of them have all signed up to a charter by GAD, GLAD, so that's the Gays and Lesbians Against Defamation uh, League, mm-hmm. um, uh, pro-LGBT rights, they've all signed on to a charter essentially calling uh, conversion therapy a complete waste of everyone's time, emotionally damaging, um, mm-hmm. and uh, should be banned. So this is in the UK, which uh, with its roller coaster of prime ministers from the Conservative Party, oh my God. <laughs> um, they are literally all over the place. Uh, uh-huh. You- Try and pay too much attention to where the Conservative Party in the UK stands on conversion therapy. You are going to need motion sickness pills. Yeah, because it is some whiplash in terms of where they stand from one week to the next. Yep. Um, but now, like I said, nearly all of the medical schools amongst professional associations in the medical industry have all signed on calling for this ban. So mm-hmm. we'll keep an eye on it as it develops. But I believe that is it for today. We'll be playing out by uh, playing out with Please Don't Go by Rhea May. But unfortunately, we do have to go. <gasps> I've been Luke Smith. And I've been Sebastian. And thank you for listening. I keep losing sleep if I'm honest. I keep losing peace when I'm not with you. Doesn't mean a thing what we call it. If we never started, it's never through. Used to your love, I got used to it. It was always enough. Please don't go. We had our ups and downs. Sometimes we scared ourselves. I don't want no one else. Please don't go. I'm feeling sick right now. Don't say the words out loud. Why can't we work this out? Please don't go. Say that.